Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. The scripture reading for tonight, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to join me in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're going to look at the second half of chapter 2, 1 Peter 2. We'll look at verse 13, uh, and actually we'll read all the way through uh, verse 25, the end of the chapter. 1 Peter 2, verse 13 through 25. Of course, we believe that Peter the Apostle is writing these things. He's writing them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, these words actually come to us tonight with authority, the the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were speaking them. So let's hear together the word of Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 13 through 25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, and if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Lion King, like the real, with real lions came out this week. The Dees family has not seen it yet. Though The Lion King, the Disney cartoon, it's one of our favorites. Uh, it's one of these that um, we actually have on DVD. And so I, I dad watch it all the time. Now, here's what dad watch means when you um, have kids. Many of y'all don't yet. Uh, get, get ready for some awesome dad watching. Dad watching goes like this. You don't actually watch the movie, but... You are playing it, in, in my case, in our Chrysler town and country. It's a wonderful car, stow-and-go seating. I highly recommend it. Um, but you're playing it in your minivan. The kids are watching it on the back, on the screens, and you just get to listen to the movie. So I haven't seen The Lion King that much recently, but I've listened to it so many times. And uh, it's a great movie. And, of course, you, you know, if y'all are familiar, if y'all have seen the movie, there's this, there's this scene uh, where Simba, who's, the, who's supposed to be the king, he's the heir to the throne, um, you know, his dad's died, he feels like it was his fault, so he runs away and he's kind of div- living this like deadbeat 
lion life with these like hippie animals and they're just like hanging out and you know doing kind of whatever just chilling living the good life and and he hears there's trouble back home but he doesn't want to go back home because he's ashamed and it'd be hard to return and if he goes back home there'd be a fight with his uncle and uh, he decides you know I'm just going to stay here I'm just going to live the good life and then his dad comes to him in a dream Ufasa and he says Simba remember who you are remember who you are Simba and of course, this kind of theme of remembering who you are, it goes throughout the entire rest of the movie. And that phrase, I think, is exactly kind of what Peter is trying to express in his letter. Remember who you are. Remember what God has done for you. Remember who now, what now your identity is. As I read in the opening chapter, he is saying, you see what Jesus has done for you. He's made you alive. He's given you this new life. He is going to present you before all of the angels of heaven. The angels, as we saw later in that passage, long to look on the salvation that you have. You've experienced a new birth. And as we said last week, you know, the new birth in Christ, you know, it's, it's an analogy. What does it mean to become a Christian? Is it like getting a new job? No, it's not like that. As dramatic as that can be for those of y'all that are, you know, go through a career change. Is it like moving? Again, a very dramatic thing to go through. No, it's more than that. Is it like having a child? No, it's more than that. It's literally like being born again. It's like becoming someone new. It's, it's receiving a whole new identity. This is what God has done for you in Christ. And, and as we talked about last week, one of the manifestations of that is now, your, because your identity's changed, your citizenship has changed. You are not now primarily just citizens of the United States or whatever country you may be from. No, you're citizens of a longer lasting, more eternal greater kingdom, this new homeland, the kingdom of Christ. It's our true home, our true homeland, our true refuge. And so this is a very short series, just last week and this week, two weeks, calling it Christian Nation. And, and what we're trying to do in this, as we started last week, is we're trying to now apply this new identity, okay, if we truly find our identity in Christ, if our true citizenship is in him, then how do we live out the lives of citizenship that we have in the various countries or various things that we are a part of in this life? How do we live out now our citizenship as citizens of the United States, or if you're from another country, as citizens of that country? Because of what God has done for us in Christ, because he's given us this great greater citizenship, how do we now live as citizens in this world and in this life? And, and if you were listening to the passage that I just read, this is a difficult passage. It is an unnatural passage. Everything that I just said in here does not come naturally to you or to me as a citizen of the United States. In fact, in some regards, if we're going to read through it, it kind of goes against some of the things that we were, grew up to value and hold to. And so I, I hope, I don't think that we're going to come out of this passage tonight necessarily saying I have all the answers now. I know how to apply uh, got my new citizenship in Christ to my citizenship in this country. But I hope that it moves you and I, I hope that you hear from, from Christ as, as we talk about these things. Three things that I do want to talk with you though about is the order of our citizenship 
the emperor over our citizenship, and the purpose of our citizenship, the order of our citizenship, the emperor over our citizenship, and the purpose of our citizenship. Let's talk about the order here. Now, this is fascinating. So if you remember last week, Peter said this big language, in Christ, you are a new nation. You're a royal priesthood. You are a people of God's own possession. You are a chosen race. This big language, this is who you are now. It's this great calling. And you would expect, right, the next thing, the next uh, logical idea is, therefore, let's take up arms and start the new nation, right? It's almost kind of revolutionary talk, right? You're a chosen race. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. Let's, let's, let's a call to arms. Let's go and become the true people of God. And this was, this is what people would have expected. In fact, around the time of Jesus, if you study kind of first century and even kind of pre-first century Jewish history, there were a lot of revolutionaries going around. Some of y'all know about the dispersion of the Jewish people, how the Jewish people had to get out of the nation of Israel. You know why that happened is because there was all these revolutionaries. People kept revolting against the Roman Empire. They kept saying these kinds of things. And finally, the Romans just said, y'all got to, we got to spread them out. We got to get them away from each other. We got to put this fire out because they keep fighting against us. So you would expect, right? You're a holy nation. You are a people of God's possession. You're a chosen race. You would expect the next line to be like, therefore, here's a sword. Let's take them on. Let's become the true people. But that's not what happens. Verse 13 kind of says the opposite. Therefore, because you've been called to such a great people, because you've been called to be God's people, subject yourself for the Lord's sake to every institution. You wouldn't expect verse 13. Be subject for God's sake to every institution. So because of God's grace, because of what God's done, because he's called us out of sin, out of death, into life, for the Lord's sake, subject yourself to every institution. Hear this. This is kind of how I've encapsulated. Because you are under a higher authority, be subject to every human authority. Because you're under a higher authority, subject yourself to human authority. Now that is a fascinating verse. Christianity doesn't call us to be cultish. It doesn't call us to be revolutionaries. In fact, the call of Scripture is even though we've been called up out of this life, we've been called to a greater, more eternal kingdom, how we're, the posture we're to have now is one of humility, is one of being willing to be subject to others, whether it is the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent out by him to punish those who do evil and to do good. Now, again, you might be thinking here, okay, well, I'm sure Peter knew the emperor. I'm sure the emperor shared a lot of the same kind of political values that Peter had. And therefore, Peter was, this is a political speech. Peter is trying to say, hey, look, the emperor is a great guy. Let's give him his due. Let's subject ourselves to him. But the, actually, the opposite is true. That's not what's going on at all. The emperor at this time is Nero, who was literally insane. He was a crazed lunatic. In fact, if you know anything about Nero, I mean, I really think he actually was insane. Um, you know, at one point in the, during the Neronian persecution, he burned 
a fourth of Rome. He set a fourth of his own city on fire just so he could blame the Christians and persecute them more, okay? This is a guy who literally at his parties would strap Christians to posts and light them on fire to serve as lanterns for his parties. Again, I kind of think like it'd be hard to party, you know, if, if that's going on. This is how insane this guy is. And yet, Peter says here, honor the emperor. Be subject to the emperor and be subject to his governors. Again, the governors were even worse than him. The governors out in the areas of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, they were all power hungry. And, and what they were trying to do, you know how what power hungry people do is they try to one up. They're like, okay, well, he's crazy. I'm going to show him how crazy I am. And I'm going to, they're, they're trying to one up one another with just more crazy, more corruption. And yet still Peter says here in this historical context, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, this is interesting. What Peter actually does here is he describes the behavior that should be true of the emperor and of the governors. So he says, these are the ones who punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And several commentators said what they think actually Peter knows he's doing here. He knew this letter would be passed around. He knew it would become a very public document. He knew that the governors would get their hands on this document. And so this is kind of a sleight of hand way for Peter, and actually Paul says something similar in Romans 13, kind of a sleight of hand way for Peter actually to instruct those governors, right? He's like, remember guys, the purpose of being a governor is to punish evil and do good. And so what Peter is saying here then beyond this is, look, here's who Christians are. We don't worship the emperor, we worship Jesus but we aren't revolutionaries. We're good citizens who want to do good for all. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, Christians by doing good and subjecting themselves to these uh, rulers, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Okay, now at this time in history, the Roman world didn't know what to do with Christians. They behaved so differently. In fact, in early correspondence about Christians, people thought Christians were atheists. They didn't have a temple. They didn't worship in the same kind of way. They talked about their Lord being this guy, Jesus, who was a man who had come to live among them, right? And so the, 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 the people around that did no worship was like this. No worship was so familial, so friendly. And they also just didn't behave like anyone. Um, they believed in things like a resurrection, right? And, and again, people had trouble dealing with this, right? We, we, we feel like people only have had trouble dealing with this in modern secular time. No, this, this has always been an issue. Uh, they, did, they were generous. They believed and they had a crazy understanding of marriage, that it was just between one man and one woman. Uh, in fact, every man that had any sort of authority in the Roman era had a mistress. I mean, it was just everybody, every man did that. And Christians didn't have mistresses. They were faithful to their wives. And Romans, just, they didn't know what to do with this. 
One of the things that was common among Roman citizens was to, they called it putting the babies out or exposing their infants. Uh, and basically, this was kind of an ancient form of abortion. If you had an unwanted child, you would literally, as Romans, first century Romans, would just literally leave the baby out. They would expose the infant. And of course, the infant, being unable to care for himself, would, would die. Well, Christians never did this. And again, the Romans didn't understand why they never did this. And in fact, Christians were going around, even though they were being persecuted by these Roman citizens, and actually adopting, taking these infants in to their homes and caring for them. Many Christian slave owners at this time, people were coming to faith in Christ, people who owned slaves, and then releasing their slaves without payment. And so the Romans at this time were scratching their heads. They had no idea why these Christians were behaving so strangely, so counterculturally. And I think what Peter here today is explaining for his church, but also for the outside world, no, we're not strange revolutionaries. This is who we are in Christ. We're good citizens. We uh, are honoring the emperor. We're, We're trying to honor everyone. But I wonder if this is how people think about us today. You know, has anyone said, man, they are so strange. They are so obscure that they value things so differently than the rest of us. Um, they, they, they act differently. They, they, they value things that we do not value. Are we actually living Christ's covenant as if this is not our homeland? Are we treating people such? Are, are we valuing, are we finding our identity in, in, in who we are in Christ, or have we just joined the normal rat race of people in finding our identity in how much money we have, or how big of a house we have, or what kind of job we have, or what kind of status we have? Are those the things that we worry about? Are those the things that we find identity in? Or do we believe that, no, in Jesus, I already have everything? And now because of that, because I'm a part of this higher citizenship, I can actually submit myself to people. I can humble myself before people. Have we really been, here's the question, have you really been set free from the world by Christ? Have you really been set free? This is what he says, look at verse 16. Live as people who are free. This is who you are in Christ. In Christ, you've been set free from finding your identity from possessions or from other people or from status or from whatever. You actually can have the courage as a Christian to do the humble and bold thing even though it will not advance your career. Now that is shocking in today's world. You can actually do the thing that humbles yourself before all of your other neighbors and it won't give you the best reputation in the neighborhood. You can actually use your money in a way that's generous toward others and doesn't just exist to fill your appetites, right? This is what Peter is saying. Have you actually been set free or are you just a slave to your appetites like everyone else? Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover, as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants for God. And then he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Did you catch that? I love this. As people who have been set free, live as servants. You're free, live as a servant. You're free, but don't use your freedom to serve yourself. No, serve others. That's what you should do with your freedom. 
This idea of freedom would have been a big idea this time. I mean, this was a time when 40% of the Roman population were slaves. People understood slavery. People understood this idea of not having freedom. And, and I believe there's a sense here what Peter is saying here is, look, look, Christ has actually set your, you free. Without Jesus, we're all slaves. Without Jesus, we're slaves to sin. Without Jesus, we're slaves to death. Without Jesus, what do you really own? I mean, let's talk about it. What do you really own without Jesus? You're like, well, I own all this, I own all this. Okay, well, okay. Try to take that with you when you die. What do you own with you beyond death? You don't own anything. But with Christ, you have an inheritance that's imperishable that can never be taken away. Without Jesus, you don't even really have freedom to, to make your own decisions. You're, you're just following the course of this world. That's the way people behave. But with Jesus, you've been restored. You've been renewed. You've been given your, your soul back. This, this is what, Je what Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life is to restore us to who he designed us to be. Before we were tainted and marred and distorted by the sin of this world. This is what Jesus wants to do in you. I, I remember I was in seventh grade. I wrote an article or wrote a paper for school about the restoration of the Sistine Chapel. And I was fascinated by this. It was early 90s. Anybody remember when this was going on? I was like in seventh grade. It's okay if you don't. Um, but the Sistine Chapel, let's, I think we have a picture. Michelangelo, right, he had painted this amazing thing. Um, and this is the creation of Adam. And so because of smog and because of smoke and just from age, it had become dirty, it had become dusty, and, and these restorers came by. They didn't use any paint. They would just clean it, and this is what happened. And it's just fascinating. I think we have another, uh, there's another picture too. And, and this is, I mean, pardon the nudity. I, I didn't mean to uh, uh, make it so graphic, but I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> Sistine Chapel, guys, I mean, it was, it's not me, but... Um, but this is what Jesus, <laughs> now the point, it's not going to make, take the picture down. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the goal of sanctification is for Christ to restore your soul to how God designed it to be anyway, to put the color back in. And we've all been marred, and we've all been affected, and we've all picked up values and things that, that do not please God along the way. And what God wants to do is to restore you and set you free, to be a free person. And what has he said? Here's what you do with your freedom. As a free man, become a slave. Become a slave to all. This is so countercultural to Western thought. But this, this is Christianity. And when Christianity loses this posture, when, when, we, when we become people that always want to vindicate ourselves and always want to show how right we are and how foolish the world is and how stupid the emperor is and how great and wise we are, we become self-righteous. And that is not the way of our Lord. That is not the way of Christ. When Christianity loses this, it loses, it loses the way of Christ. And the way of Jesus is, is not to be served, but to serve. The way, you are so free in Christ that you can submit yourselves to others. And look, I wanna say this, look, I'm an American, I love my country, I'm a young American, 
Um, I know, I'm, I guess I'm technically a millennial. I think I'm 26 days into being a millennial. Um, but for you fellow millennials out there, you know, I always say this page is a Gen Xer. And so whenever we have, uh, whenever we have arguments, I always say, well, it's just our generational gap, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, no, I, but, you know, I get, I get these kind of mores of modern America, but I get, you know, you know, Americans, we're winners, we're individualists, we're pull ourselves, we're proving ourselves. And again, that comes from our history, right? We're the people that got in a boat, everybody thought we were crazy, we came over here and we said, we're going to make something of our lives, so we're always kind of saying, hey, we're going to make it, we're going to prove ourselves. But the more and more I get to know Jesus and his word, again, there's nothing against work, hard work and ambition and all these things, but Jesus has this posture of working himself down, not up, and taking his privilege and taking his freedom and using it for the benefit of others and not for the benefit of himself. This is the order of our citizenship. In Christ, we've been called out of this world to something so much better and so much sweeter and so much more eternal. That's where our hope is, and so now we don't have to find so much identity here. We can serve. We can be ambassadors. The, the freedom that you have in Christ, the power that you have in Christ actually gives you the power to get low, to be a servant, to not have to be proving yourself all the time. Look at verse 18. This is a crazy verse. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, for the sake of the Lord, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and then you suffer, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, something to remember here, again, is, you know, there's a big difference between prosecution and persecution, right? So, if you go out and break the law and do something wrong and you're persecuted, you're, you're, you suffer for it, that's not persecution, right? That's prosecution. That's just justice, right? So don't say, oh, I'm, now I'm being persecuted if you've done wrong. No, but this is saying, no, if you've been doing good and there's still a price to pay, there's this thing about this where there's glory in that. Now, that's very unpopular. But again, this is Christianity. It's very different from the world. You know, we're not going to get there. The, the series is going to be over tonight. But chapter 3, I was thinking about this in light of Peter's instruction. In the very next chapter, he's instructing women who are married to unbelieving men, okay? So a wife of an unbelieving husband. I thought this is fascinating. This is verse 3 of chapter 3. If you just want to flip the page over, look over there. It says, women, do not... Uh, let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be one of a hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Again, that same thing, gracious thing in the sight of God, precious thing in the sight of God. You see the posture here? Everyone would advise a woman, you want to have influence over your husband? You know, get, you know, dress up. Wear the good stuff. Be sexy. Be uh, uh, alluring to him. That's how you'll influence him. But this is saying, no, no, no. The, the, the external force, the external power, no, that's not the way of Christ. It's, it's coming down. It's being gentle. It's being low. These are the things that are beautiful in God's sight. These are the things that display real strength. 
So that's the order of our citizenship. Next thing I want to look at, though, is the emperor over our citizenship. The emperor over our citizenship. Now, this is, this is fascinating for us, and I want to spend a little time here because this is important for us to think about as American Christians. In first century Rome, the emperor was the emperor, right? There wasn't elections, you know, you couldn't decide who the emperor was. There was, you know, there was no free press, right? There was none of this, right? It was all fake news back in those days, right? It was all the emperor is awesome and don't say anything else, right? That was first century Rome. The emperor was the emperor. No one had any sort of authority to challenge that. It, was, it wasn't something that we enjoy, which is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And so now applying First Peter as American citizens is very important. And I just want to say this. What you need to receive in this is now you are the emperor. You are the emperor. In America, the highest level of governing authority rests in the hands of the people. And that is something that a first century Christian, it would have blown their mind. And this is a great responsibility, a great stewardship. You know, I mean, literally anyone, I mean, for those of you who were born in America and for those of you who are over 35 years of age, any one of you can become the president of the United States. Any one of you could be our next congressman or congresswoman. You could be our next senator. This, this is a government of us. And we can have a determination of who wins those elections and who loses those elections. We can be involved in the process. So in light of you being the emperor, in light of God and his providence giving you this incredible responsibility, let me just give you a couple of things to keep in mind as we are about to enter into this election cycle. The first thing is this, be a good steward, right? You are the emperor. God has given you a responsibility to govern this country. Be involved. You know, some people here need to run for office. I, uh, you know, I, I know it, this is a hard thing to even think about because the political world is so strange and so corrupt. I remember when I was 17, I ran, there was, there was this thing, and I think they have it in every state, it's called Boy State, and it's where basically a bunch of 17-year-old boys go play government for a week, um, and it's a lot of fun, but it's really corrupt, and I ran for Boy State governor, and there was all these backhanded deals going on, and the election literally, and I know I sound like a sore loser here, but the election was literally rigged and tampered with, and I remember thinking like, golly, this is like pretend government, and it's still being tampered with. It's still being corrupted. You know, what's going on in the real government? Um, so again, I know that as Christians, it's like, God, how can I enter that world? But we have to. God's given us that stewardship. He's given us that responsibility to be involved, to be engaged. You know, I remember one time we were having a little Bible study at our house, and it was an election day, and Paige said, hey, do all y'all vote? Who'd you, you know, all y'all vote in the election today? And some of the folks, and I'm not calling anybody out, was like, what election? That's, that's sinful, really. It's not honoring the stewardship that God has given you. And so the first thing I just want to say is, as the emperor, God has given you this authority to be the government, to be the leader. As the emperor, honor the stewardship. Honor the stewardship. 
And I know a lot of times this is hard. You know, in 2016, a lot of people said to me, well, there's really just no good option. I don't know what to do. And, you know, I just want to say this. There's going to be a lot of times in any leadership position that there's not going to be a good option, but you have to choose something, right? That's just what people that are responsible have to do, right? And so be a good steward. Take this um, role that God has given you very seriously. Second thing is seek to serve. And then you could put in parentheses, not to win. Seek to serve, not to win. As we enter into like political conversations and run for office, et cetera, et cetera, and you could just combine the third thing here, which is remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are in Christ, right? You're not primarily a Republican or a Democrat. You're not primarily trying to win an election or advance your business or to do this or do that. You're primarily trying to glorify God. And, and I see a lot of Christians that exchange their credibility as a Christian witness before people in an exchange to try to win a few argumentative points in a political argument. That is a foolish exchange. To serve a temporary, flawed candidate in exchange for a perfect, flawless, and never-ending king. So remember who you are, seek to serve, be engaged, but don't be engaged for the sake of winning. Be engaged for the sake of serving God and serving people. And we kind of did the last one. Remember who you are. Let's go to the last point here. We've talked about the order of our citizenship, the emperor over our citizenship. But lastly, the purpose of all this. What is God doing in all of this? And, and, and really the purpose of all of this is the purpose of everything. Why are you on earth? What are you here to do? You're here to glorify God. That is the purpose of your life. On the last day, when Christ returns, and, and God has, through these various trials, prepared us for the worship that we will experience, then you will know my purpose is to glorify this king. And know it now. That's why you're here. You're, we are here. The whole point of our citizenship, the whole point, the reason God puts you in the United States of America at this time is so that he could be glorified through you. So know Christ so that he may be known through you. This is really everything that we are. So look at verse 20. And again, this is, a, this is an amazing passage. What credit, credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, live to his glory. By his wounds, we have been healed. There's so much here. But I really just have time for, for one kind of big thought here. There is a reaction in all of us to vindicate ourselves. If something wrongs you, if someone wrongs me, you know the first thing that comes to my heart? 
oh man, you mess with the wrong guy, you know. I just want to rip my shirt off and start flexing and run after, right? That's the little guy inside my head. You don't want to meet him, he's bad. <laughs> but, you know, that guy just wants to, he just wants to say, you, you, I can't believe you messed with the wrong guy. What are you doing? I want to vindicate myself. I want to show myself. I want to show how strong I am and how right I am and how good I am. We want to be cleared of guilt. We want to make sure that guilt is put in the right place. If somebody blames you for something that you didn't do. But Jesus, when he came, was the complete opposite. He didn't seek to be vindicated. In fact, I want you to hear this, he was willing to be persecuted. He didn't seek to be vindicated, he was willing to be persecuted. He was willing to go to the cross on behalf of people who deserved the blame on behalf of people who deserve to be crushed. He was willing to be persecuted so that we could be vindicated, so that we could be brought high, so that we could be glorified. It's by his stripes, as it says here, that we have been healed. Through his humility, we have been healed. And coincidentally, God, who rightly judges, he was willing to wait on God who rightly judges, has now given him the name that is above every name. Do you trust the name, the, the, the judgment of God? Do you trust this? He was willing to be vindicated. He was willing to be persecuted so that we might be vindicated. You know, I, I, I always am fascinated by movements that happen. Uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter or Me Too movement or Occupy Wall Street, these kind of moral movements that come along. What, what happens to them? Do they actually change things or do they just kind of create a stir, right? I mean, and some do and some don't. And, and as I've kind of studied these and I've studied a lot of at least 20th century American history, I, w I was having a conversation not too long ago with a guy about the difference between kind of the civil rights movement of Martin Luther King what I'll just call the Civil Rights Movement, and what I'll call Nation of Islam, or Malcolm X, right? So there's two movements going on at the same time, right? Nation of Islam movement, Malcolm X, I don't, I don't have time to explain all the history of these two movements, but then you have the Civil Rights Movement. Now, both of these movements were going on about the same time. Both movements recognized real injustice that was going on in the world, real wrong that was happening. But one movement, Nation of Islam, sought to be vindicated, sought to fight back, fight, sought retribution for these wrongs. One movement was willing to be persecuted. And this movement, you could argue, didn't help race relations in America, probably hurt race relations in America. And this movement changed the world. This movement really grabbed the hearts of people and if you look through history from you know, William Wilberforce to John Huss to Athanasius to Dietrich Bonhoeffer to Irenaeus, I could go this on and on and on, I actually kind of see this playing out. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that the one who's willing to be persecuted actually brings about vindication for many. But this is the way of our Lord, our perfect king, who had all power, who was all right, 
who never sinned, who deserved no wrong to be done to him, made himself low, took on our sin, was blamed in our place, and through him we have been made great. And we have been called to be citizens in his eternal kingdom, this exalted kingdom where he is lifted high. Are we willing as citizens now of this world to go and do likewise? Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for this passage, how instructive it is, how helpful it is, how strange it is. I pray, Father, that now by the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God, Lord, we wouldn't say, oh, that's nice, and then fall back into our normal worldly living, but that we would really consider Jesus and be changed by him, be changed by his word, be changed by the power of his Spirit. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come alive in our hearts right now and give us the kind of confidence and the kind of courage that the new birth, that the new identity in Christ should give us. That we see ourselves as people not having to prove ourselves, not having to make a name for ourselves, not trying to gain for ourselves because we've already been given everything, we've already been proven for, we've already been given a great name. And Father, in that place and from that place, we can use the amazing resources and amazing gifts that you've given us that we're right to pursue in a way that honors and pleases you. We can use those things, Lord, to advance this kingdom and to serve people, Lord, that you love. So, Father, I pray desperately that you would do this in my life and do this in the life of this church. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678 951 9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.